Hello and welcome to UX Soup, a short form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and on the go. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients with insights, analysis, and expertise. I'm Chris Schreiner. Lisa has the podcast off today. So in our very first episode of UX Soup, we covered augmented reality, and we touched on it a few times since. We've talked about it in the car. We've talked about it on smartphones, but we've really only covered it from a consumer perspective. AR has many enterprise use cases as well, which certainly deserve our attention. So we wanted to talk about that today. And to do so, I've brought on one of my colleagues, David McQueen, for today's episode. David is the director of the virtual and augmented reality service within Strategy Analytics. David, welcome to UX Soup. Hi, Chris. Glad to be here. So if you could tell us a little bit about some of the work you do within the virtual and augmented reality service. Sure, no problem. So we're tracking the market uh, for the devices across the virtual and augmented reality space, and we've been doing that for a couple of years. Uh, but we are taking, I would say, a very holistic approach in, in terms of the research that we do in this service. So it's not just about looking at the devices and components like a traditional SA devices service, but we're also looking very much at the use cases, the ecosystem that surrounds those devices, because it's such a new and novel technology. It's still at a very, very early stage. We don't know what yet is going to resonate with consumers. So as that usage starts to evolve, that also starts to inform the design of the devices themselves as well. So it's it's quite a, it's still almost a, a, an industry that's at a kind of chicken and egg stage right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you were talking about there with consumer, the way consumers are experiencing AR just now on the smartphone, there's a lot you can draw from that in terms of how the market might evolve. But I think it's also very interesting to look at the enterprise space where you already have a reasonable number of those AR glasses out there. And having yeah. the glasses, the InVision um, augmented reality, the hands-free experience, I think that possibly opens up different types of use cases. So it's interesting, I think, to look at the enterprise space as well to see what might be coming when those consumer glasses start to hit the market. Yeah, the enterprise space certainly has the most advanced AR technology at this point, and is also utilizes some more basic AR type glasses and headsets. But if you could just for those that might not be as familiar, can I give a rundown of some of the the more advanced AR headsets glasses that you see out there? Yeah, sure. So I think like almost exactly as you described, really, it's a market that's already almost split into two that you have at the one end, you have these really high-end glasses, you know, Magic Leap, um, Microsoft HoloLens, that's probably the, the market leader right now, at least in terms of value anyway. And those are very, very advanced, you know, completely standalone computing platforms. You know, it's, it's almost a PC on your head, really. You've got genuine 3D stereoscopic images, so you're overlaying 3D objects in the real world, you know, tethered to specific points in space. Um, you can walk around them, you can view holograms and so on. You've got very advanced tracking capabilities. So I think there's a total of eight cameras on the HoloLens wow. um, looking outwards, actually also checking where you're looking as well. So 
it really can very, very accurately map the environment. It can do advanced things like hand tracking. It does gaze tracking. And you really need that in augmented reality. You've got to, to augment the world. You've got to understand the world around you first. So collecting all of that data, mapping the environment, recognizing objects and recognizing what the user is doing is a big part of that. But because there's such a such an advanced piece of kit, they've got some serious downsides as well. So, yeah. you know, you are effectively wearing a PC on your head. It weighs like <laughs> half a kilo. The battery life, you know, I think Microsoft claims something like four hours, but I think in actual usage, you know, heavy usage, it would be less than that as well. So so that puts some limitations on that yeah. type of device. And then you end up with a lot of the ergonomic concerns that we've seen throughout the virtual reality headset space with neck strain exactly. and head strain, all of that. Yeah. 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 So I guess a two-part question to talk about use cases for enterprise AR. Uh, one is what use cases do you see have had the greatest adoption of an AR headset or glasses? And in what use case do you see the most value? Yeah, that's an interesting question, actually. It depends how you measure value as well. You know, certainly for those high-end headsets, I think, you know, one of the most interesting cases and there's been a lot of traction in this space is around healthcare. We've seen, you know, there's uh, Vodafone in Italy, for example, I think Telefonica in Spain, uh, even BT in the UK, they've been doing trial deployments uh, with HoloLens or other AR headsets in ambulances for paramedics. And so there's tremendous value in that. I was looking at some statistics from the British Red Cross and about a third of trauma patients unfortunately die before they reach the hospital and of those around a third are recorded as preventable deaths that's something where i think having more advanced technology can certainly really help that using things like the front-facing camera so that someone in the hospital can see what the patient is like and give advice to the paramedic and it's also giving the paramedic instructions in vision you know, while they have their hands free as well, which is very, very important. So very different from a smartphone kind of use case. So even things like delivering babies, for example. So how how would that work exactly? So it's it's more than just a see what I see kind of thing. It, it would be the yeah. it would be the doctor on the other end highlights certain things or point to things or what what yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. They can do all of that. Um, you know, particularly with these more advanced headsets. And and like I say, with that those all of those different outfacing cameras, because you've got such an accurate view of the patient, the world around you. But there's some other use cases where a, a doctor in a hospital is guiding a health worker in a remote situation. I think it was uh, Guatemala actually where I saw an interesting use case like that. And that almost as exactly as you describe, I mean, you know, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but the doctor can kind of do an almost kind of cut here, you know, and, and literally draw on the patient and that line that they draw on the patient stays in that correct, you know, 3D right. space, you know, it stays on the patient's leg. So it doesn't matter if the patient moves their leg, the health practitioner or the paramedic moves their head, it stays in where it should do, you know, on the, on the patient's leg to help them perform more minor surgery basically wow. yeah emergency surgery so really quite amazing use cases there so we've seen with typical consumer-based ar that there's lag there's jitter it's not quite exactly as as mm. perfect as it needs to be are you seeing in devices in those use cases that the rendering is a lot better 
I think that's a you know part of the reason that you do have these things, particularly the HoloLens, being really a, almost a standalone computing platform, that it can do all of that processing locally. Hmm. And so it's not reliant, you know, you take away latency issues in the in the network, for example. That kind of in in some ways overcomes that. So, you know, the most advanced use cases perhaps in this regard are using HoloLens in surgery. Uh, and you know, take a, a literally take a cat CT scan uh, of the patient and overlay that on them in real time uh, during surgery. So and yes, like you say, you know, low having getting rid of those jitters um, is clearly paramount in in that kind of situation to make sure that that doesn't impact things. That's where you have those you know that computing power that's actually on the headset really comes into play. But that brings me, I guess, to another downside to those devices is that they're a long way from being consumer devices. Right. So, you know, three and a half thousand dollars for um, the HoloLens 2 and you know, similar price for the Magic Leap. You know, how do you get that down to a consumer level? This is really also the, the sort of second category of enterprise devices. We have a much more lightweight device and it's typically tethered to a smartphone. Mm-hmm. to provide connectivity and the processing is happening partly in the cloud partly on that tethered device so that can make the headset much much lighter uh, from a consumer perspective that would open up better design choices it would obviously make it much much cheaper as well uh, so we see the kind of first wave of that from consumer devices the nreal is about 600 dollars and the equivalent enterprise devices from players like Vuzix or google glass i would bracket in that as well you're looking at a similar, you know, sub thousand price point, but then you're also looking at much more limited use cases typically being addressed with those types of devices. Yeah. As well. What what use cases are you seeing for those lower end? Types so of that's um, the more HUD type experience. So you know they're not typically they don't have a they don't have the binocular form factor really. The you know they have a lens, perhaps even not a transparent uh, display, but only in one eye. So it's really giving you a HUD type of experience. It's not overlaying a 3D object in the real world. It's giving you contextual information based on your location, based on some other objects that it might recognize. But again, those environment mapping capabilities are a bit more limited. Um, so things like navigation, you know, we see it quite heavily used in logistics, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, DHL, I think, bought a few thousand headsets from, from Google. Uh, and that's become standard practice in their warehousing. So it kind of guides the person doing the stop fulfillment around the warehouse. Okay, so um, they can indoor pick up. navigation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, turn left here into aisle 572 <laughs> in these gigantic warehouses. Because the device itself has fairly limited mapping capabilities, that's augmented really by using things like QR codes on packages or on stock items to make sure that the right stock item is being picked and the order is fulfilled correctly. And because it's more lightweight and tethering off the smartphone, the battery life for those things is probably a lot longer than what you would see for more of the advanced headsets. Yeah, exactly. And you've got to fit in with things like a typical you know, eight-hour shift pattern when you're wanting a worker to to wear that for the entirety of their shift, the charge has to last long enough and it has to be lightweight enough that it's comfortable to wear for eight hours as well, which HoloLens, just over half a kilo, <laughs> yeah, maybe doesn't quite fit into that category. 
I would say the key use case there is to kind of see what I see. Uh, so again, that front-facing camera. So in the HoloLens, that that still has relevance for those high-end headsets, but at the low end, that kind of becomes the primary use case. So we see that used again in healthcare. You know, we see paramedics with that. There's some deployments in Norway, for example, with simpler headsets, and that's already providing value. It often used in things like advanced manufacturing and field service for essentially a remote support. So rather than a surgeon. You're, you know, it's an engineer in the field. He has a problem fixing something. You call back to HQ. You can have a video call. They can see exactly what you're seeing. You've got your hands free so they can guide you through the procedure to fix whatever it is that you're trying to fix. Good example is, again, this is using the HoloLens, but uh, ThyssenKrupp uh, and their field service for elevators is, is quite interesting. That's a very advanced version of that which brings in object recognition and, and kind of helps guide through the process in two ways. But even so, the see what I see is the key part of that. And the display there is typically showing at the other end, you know, it's, it's like a video call. Right. Based. So you can see your, your colleague at the other end and maybe they can share with you a diagram or something like that. And you see that in your vision and you've still got your hands there. So you can actually go through the process step by step, kind of live. So we've talked about a, a few enterprise use cases, but there's one large one that we haven't discussed yet that has transformed the industry a bit, and that would be the military. You know, military is really kind of where you saw the first growth in augmented reality, in fact. I mean, you know, we, we've touched on many times how they're very similar to heads-up displays, and that originally started that was the Mosquito Fighter, I think, in 1943 or 1944 that had the first heads up display and the military all along um you know even before google glass kind of came to market as a more mass market product uh, before that you did have military headsets as well and what we saw there uh, initially um a few years ago microsoft uh, had done a deal with the us military to supply a variation of the hololens uh, slightly augmented version, so obviously ruggedized and uh, also incorporating an additional camera, infrared camera. And that experiment of the first thousand or so headsets, I think, was obviously successful because just a couple of months ago, um, Microsoft signed a $22 billion deal with the US Army to supply several thousand headsets over the next few years. And that, I think, is going to be, I mean, that on the one hand, for, for AR industry overall, that's transformative. I mean, that literally doubled the size of the industry overnight. And I think that'll, that'll have a lot of impacts on, on the industry in a lot of different ways. So, you know, obviously we'll we'd expect to see other militaries uh, look at what they can do in that space as well uh, mm -hmm. to keep parity. So rather than a technological arms race, a literal arms race. But that will also mean a big upscaling in the amount of manufacturing as well. So one of the key challenges right now, I would say, is that the, the lens technology to create a good display on a transparent lens, whether that's glass or plastic, is one of the most challenging parts of, of AR right now. And that's a big part of the reason why the devices are ex as expensive as they are. So if Microsoft is going to be producing tens of thousands of these things, then, you know, that lens manufacturing capability has to really achieve a level of scalability that it hasn't had up to now. 
So I expect that will also help drive costs down across the across the AR industry. So we've talked a bit about some of the user experience issues with enterprise AR use cases in terms of with the HoloLens and the weight and next strain and all that. But there there are other issues that have to be resolved. Yeah. One of the things that we've seen, you know, the, the industry is growing quickly. I mean, the Microsoft deal literally, as I say, doubled the size overnight. Um, and before that, the previous year, we'd seen a 50% increase in shipments year on year to the enterprise sector. So, but from a very low base. So it is an industry that's growing, but it's been growing, I would say, relatively slowly. And I think one of the biggest challenges right now is that because it's such a novel technology mm-hmm. that businesses don't always immediately see, oh, I must have this because I can obviously see what the benefit is going to be to my business. It's it's a complete unknown. You know, it's up to the salespeople that, you know, the likes of Vizix and then the Microsoft HoloLens division to, to go out there and kind of prove that it has utility. Um, and then they'll typically do trials and make sure that it's, it's worthwhile. You know, industry is quite hard-nosed. Is, is it going to produce a good return on investment for me or not? Mm-hmm. Um, how's it going to benefit my workers? You know, does this impact my bottom line? So, and then in the healthcare, which is one of the key verticals, that's a space which is obviously very slow moving, you know, for good reason. You need to do clinical trials and, and those can, in many cases, take years to, to finish. So that's one of the biggest challenges is just, it's so new that, um, you know, it, it's still got a bit to prove itself, right. even though that that's kind of starting. And tied in with that, you know, because it's such a novel technology, I think to to get back to the the point of this podcast and the, the user experience is that I don't, I still don't think we're quite at a stage where that user experience has really been well enough defined mm-hmm. um, that that it it you know you, there's a lot of staff training required, for example, you know hands-free is something completely new you know i don't have a mouse i don't have a keyboard how do i interact with this thing right. and then i've got a you know as an as a as an enterprise i've got a challenge there of how do i train my staff in this novel input mechanism right it's either going to be using voice or gestures and gestures hmm. we've seen it's hard to have universal intuitive gestures you know, for simple yeah. things to communicate that you want to do a very basic maneuver or turn might be one gesture for one person, another gesture for somebody else, and there'll be certainly cultural differences there. And then if you're able to get over that, you run into the issue of just accuracy because we're not that great yet at being able to recognize gestures, at least not to the, the point that it needs to be. No, absolutely. And, and again, the technology plays a part of that. So something like the HoloLens, you know, really advanced, like I said, eight cameras, depth perception, all the rest of it. So it can track your hands very accurately, relatively speaking. I mean, it's, it's still not perfect. And you can use very subtle gestures there. So uh, tried out a few of these systems myself, um, you know, things like pinching, quite accurate pointing. These types of input mechanisms, just they're just not possible on the, the lower end devices, right. uh, where if you have hand tracking, it's you know, by necessity, much, much more basic. Um, it might be tracking your hand, but it's not necessarily tracking individual fingers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you may be waving your hand to do something, you know, sort of a swipe left or whatever, but that's about as much as something a device like that can do. So you've got 
completely different kind of input mechanisms, even if you're using hand tracking across different families of devices. So it's, you know, it'd be interesting to see when it comes to the consumer space, you know, if you're, are you going to walk down the street wearing a, a pair of glasses like these to help your navigation? Um, and, you know, do you want to change, you know, your, where it is that you're going to? Oh, my friends, you know, have rung me and they've said, oh, they're not at this cafe, they're at this cafe instead. And I, I need to kind of wave my arms around in the middle of the street <laughs> to try and tell the thing that I want to go to a different location. just want to wrap up on one final topic. So we're recording this prior to Apple's WWDC event. It's possible that Apple will be announcing something having to do with consumer AR glasses. So just as a, as a final endpoint, if we switch to the consumer for a second, what are your thoughts on Apple and what they would be at some point likely to announce? I'm sure it's more than a rumor that Apple are working on AR devices. And you know, we've been tracking Apple's acquisitions. They've made, if you include facial recognition, they've made nine acquisitions in the augmented reality space. So I think it's, it is only a matter of time yeah. before they enter this space. Um, whether or not it's next week that they announce something, or perhaps even as late as next year, but I don't think they can afford to leave it that much later than that. You know, we've had you know Facebook have announced their intention. Uh, we've seen uh, demo devices from Samsung as well. So just to keep parity with their main competitors, Apple has to come to market with something relatively soon. And I think having made those acquisitions over the last few years, they clearly have been working with something, you know, when they unveil it, I don't know, but it's only a matter of time. All right. Well, thank you very much, David, for joining us today. Thanks, Chris. And if you'd like to chat more about augmented reality for enterprise or the consumer space, you can send us an email at uxsoup, all one word at strategyanalytics.com, or visit our show page at ux-soup.com. Our show page will also have links to David's work and research, our work and research in this space. And you can also connect with us on LinkedIn. A reminder that UXSoup is sponsored as always by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights in mobile, automotive, and the smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.